And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, where we get a chance to really go into an engaging conversation of what's happening at Podcast Central. Just simply go to EWTN.com slash radio, where all the conversations are happening. I'm Ace McKay, your host, ready to take you on a guide that this week joins the Catholic influencers. We've got Father Rob, Elisa, and Justine with this week's episode, taking us into the gospel of the week and also discussing how we, whether we incorporate techniques from other philosophies and traditions like yoga, how does that play into our Catholic mindset and faith? So let's check in this week with the Catholic influencers on this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. Hello, hello. Hey. Hola, <laughs> Welcome back to the Catholic Influences podcast. We're coming to you live from rainy Melbourne. It's rainy. In the background, you might even hear the rain and the... There seems to be a truck. There's like a fully sick car. There's a car with the engine. <laughs> I just find it so annoying. It is annoying. It's very, I think they're picking up the, the rubbish. Rubbish, yeah. Potentially. Possibly. Anyway. So as we prepare to open up this week's gospel, we might just start with a prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to explore your word and um, to listen to your voice. And I just want to lift up every single person who is listening to this, um, whether it's their first time listening to a podcast or their one thousandth thousandth time listening to the podcast. Lord, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to them in a new way and in the way that they need to hear you today. And we ask this through the intercession of our Mother Mary as we pray. Hail Amen. Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Amazing. So this Sunday's Gospel is taken from the um, Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, The cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. While they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he, he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. It's a story in Palestine. <laughs> about a wedding. About a wedding. But there's so many truths we can gain from this Um but I think before we can get into that, it's a, it basically, look, at its core, it's a story about Jesus talking to the disciples for us to make wise preparations to make sure that we are ready for the coming of Jesus. Yes. 
Um, but how would the disciples would have understood this story? Because they, they would have known inside out. Even till today, they practice weddings in this way. The bride and the, and the groom get ready. They're betrothed. Gosh, it's been a point of contention. There was a podcast prior to this podcast, <laughs> in and of itself. Betrothed. <laughs> it's been they're betrothed. Betrothed. Okay. And as they are betrothed, they're promised to each other. Maybe they've met each other. Maybe they never met each other. Maybe wow. he, she knows who the groom is. Maybe she doesn't. And so what? So this they, is weddings in first century Palestine. No, till today. Till today. Okay. This, this happens till today in Palestine, especially uh, mostly I'd say middle class. It would happen this okay. way. And so what would happen is they would, um, as part of the dowry or whatever you call it, they would get a house. Or maybe it will be the backyard of someone. Maybe it will be. But important thing to note is that this house would have never been lived in by any of them. They, it's the, by the the groom or the bride. And then none of them were allowed, before they got married, allowed to enter in. So, um, so they have to wait. The groom goes in and then welcomes the bride um, once they're married. So here, where, where are we in the story? Now what else happens? As they're sitting there, um, the bride is thinking, okay, I can't go into the house. I can't go home because I've been kicked out of home now because um, I'm, I'm, I'm betrothed. So I have no place to call home. So basically, she's on the streets. She has nowhere to go. So she has to wait for her, her groom. Yeah. So she's there so on the So how side. long, like, realistically, could she be waiting for? Well, she leaves her home the minute she's betrothed. And that is the time where the invitations are sent out. So it's imminent. They know it's imminent. So they're, they're, they're waiting. She, um, and so she has to basically wait on the road where the groom will be passing by to go to the house. Because she doesn't, she, she doesn't know the hour. She, does, she knows it's around now. He sent out the invitations. But sometimes it could take days, you know, from the time the invitation was sent out. And it wasn't sent out like through posts. It was sent out by word of mouth. Yeah, wow. Get yourself ready for this. I'm just, just thinking of your wedding. I'm literally <laughs> just about to say I'm imagining myself in my wedding dress, like trying yeah, to yeah. keep my makeup on my face yes. and my hair real nice for like five days. Get that <laughs> wedding spray, baby. I was over it after 12 hours. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if they had... Make up. I, I, I don't. I don't. Know. Just go along with well, it. Anyway, they're sitting there on the side of the road. So the bridesmaids keep her company. They want to keep her company because she's on the side of the road. They want to keep her safe, but also they want to. They want to go to the wedding too. <laughs> so they and want so to keep like, company. Like they kind of sleep in the day, I guess, and then at night they're staying awake with these lamps. Yeah, Is that if, right? they, if they have a suspicion that he's going to be late, they would sleep in the day rather than sleep at night. Safer. And it was a sight to see. You would see the brides, the bride, and the bridesmaids um, asleep, and it was like the thing to see. If you ever saw one of those, look, everyone, the village would gather and say, "Look, there, there's a bride and and Whoa, the this bridal party um, mm. a- asleep." And so they would wait for the... And at night, they of, of course, they needed the, the lamps to, to stay awake and to make sure that um, the, the groom would see them, but also that they would know the way to the road to follow the groom. And the groom wouldn't even acknowledge the bride until he got to the house. So they, she, he would see them and then he would continue walking and they would walk behind him. And this was like a huge feast, right? Like, so, yes, so this was the groom would walk, the bride would walk with the bridesmaids, and the people would like as these people were kind of walking through the streets to get to the house. People would see them, and they would come and give their best wishes. Exactly. Yeah. So they're they're all everyone's waiting. Everyone knows that something big is about to happen, and so they go. And finally, the the um, groom arrives. Um, let's say he arrives at night time. There's, there's no oil in, and so 
they what the Bible what Jesus is saying that if you all have no oil, then you can't come. You can't you can't make your way. You're useless basically to lighting the path. You're just a burden in a sense. Um, so make sure you're prepared. And so what would happen is they would follow the groom in, and then the door would be open, and they wouldn't. They'd be married, and they'd meet each other. But their doors would be open for like seven, ten days, so for people to come in and eat, and they were treated like kings and queens, and it was just this huge party that would happen for weeks and weeks and weeks. Now, how do all of that story, how do we relate that to our lives? You know, like, what, what, what is the significance of us waiting? You're kicked out of our house, we're kicked out of heaven, in a sense, we're born out of our mother's womb, we're here on earth, we're in this place, in the road, in the wilderness, waiting, waiting for fulfillment, waiting for heaven. We're on the side of the road with, and we're not the bride in this case. The church is the bride. We're attached to the bride, the church, mother church. And the, the light, the light is, yes, could be good. It could be a couple of things. I was just thinking um, it could be the, in light of Matthew's gospel, the good works. So good works that were, that would come that would flow naturally out of a relationship with Jesus. And how, why am I saying this? I'm going to back this up with a little bit of <laughs> scripture from Matthew's gospel. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus compares good deeds to the light of a lamp that must shine before others. That's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. And later on in the gospel, he talks about people who call him Lord, but fail to do the will of the Father. And Jesus' ultimate response to them is, I never knew you. And this is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. And so if we compare these kind of phrases to what Jesus uses in this passage that we're talking about, you can see they're kind of similar. That's how you can come to the conclusion that the oil could be likened to the good works that flow from our relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Also, I think another analogy you could use like similarly to this one is um that of a a marathon runner i guess um to kind of make a similar point you know when it comes to running i don't do a lot of it i don't enjoy my max is like 3.5 kilometers and that's about it that's that's, that's really good i yeah, can't run 3.5 marathon is like what 40? 21 that's, that's half. That's, that's half, half marathon. Oh so it's like 42 Ks. You can't just be a me and just get off, you know, up off your couch one day and say, I'm going to run 42 Ks today. Like, no, you're not. Mm. You're going to die, Justine. <laughs> like, don't be <laughs> stupid. Um, you know, you don't just go from your couch and get up and do, you know, the full run. You start small, you know, and every day you do the little things. You build the little strengths. You make the little milestones that you reach every day to work up towards the big day, that marathon day that is your goal. You know, mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the aim and you do all that you can. You eat well, you train well, you stay committed, you stay disciplined, you stay on track um, to build up the skills and the habits that will really – become really, really helpful when they're required most, which is on the day. So, mm. so it's, in other words, like be prepared. You, you, be, you prepared. be prepared. That's right. And the thing is, you can't borrow someone else's training, unfortunately. Yeah. I've, I've tried that. You know, you can't <laughs> run a marathon based on someone else's Endurance. six months yeah. of training that you haven't done. You can't. And so that's kind of where the oil comes in, where sometimes we think, gosh, that was harsh. Yes. Like the, um, the wise virgins say, like, no, you to the foolish one, no, you can't have it. It's not because they were being harsh, but if we were to use this as the analogy, you can't borrow what someone else's faith. You can't get to heaven yeah. on someone else's salvation. You, got, you can't 
piggyback ride on someone else, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. up the path towards heaven. It's got to be your own. I was just thinking as you sa- you were saying that, like, someone else can inspire you in that. Like, if we're going to use yeah. this marathon analogy, yeah. say you've started to run this marathon and you've you've put in a lot of training, but then, like, you hit this mm-hmm. This roadblock, I guess, and then someone's like, "Hey, mate, no, like, yes. I think you should keep going, and I'm going to walk with you. Let's do that together." We can liken that to our faith as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we start off strong. We're like so into our faith, we want to learn everything we can about Jesus, spend as much time with Him as possible, um, learn about the church, learn about all these different things, and then we hit this something. moment of suffering in our life or mm. something where it feels like, "Oh my gosh, I can't keep going mm-hmm. on with this." But then it's those around us who are like. Hey, no, you need to keep going, and this is gonna, this is great. Um, so, I think yeah, your commitment it's needs to be your own. The others can inspire you, but at the end of the day, it needs to be you. Yeah, yeah. the essential part of community. How important it is yes. it, and how mm-hmm. foolish it is for you to think that hey, I can be a Christian at home by myself. I don't need the church. Mm. That's that's not how it works, and and that's not how God I- invites us. He invites us as a community, as a believing community, to be attached to the bride, which is the church. And then the bride and the groom arrives, they walk towards the the groom. And who is the groom? Jesus, you know, the second coming of Christ, that when he calls us into heaven, into the banquet. And here's the reality. He says here clearly that some won't make it Mm. because they're not prepared, because they think that they can borrow someone else. I'm going to get to heaven because my uncle's a priest. No. I mean, that's not how it works. We have to... And have the oil in our own lamps, the good works that we do, the love that we have for others, our dependence on the Holy Spirit and our relationship yes. with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking like the whole point of this story is to stay awake because we don't know when Jesus is coming. But mm-hmm. what does that mean practically for our lives now? I was just thinking if there's sin in our lives that we haven't repented of, now is the time to do that, not later. Mm-hmm. If you know we feel like God's calling us to this particular mission and we're saying no or we're now is the time to be doing that. And maybe you might be someone, oh, I'll take my faith, I'll just live my life now and take my faith seriously when I'm older. I'll be one of those little old ladies, God love them, <laughs> um, who go to daily mass, like I'll just do it when I'm older. Mm. No, you don't know if Jesus is coming t- today, tomorrow. Now is the time to do it. Exactly. And I think there's just so much more in store than living in fear of when the end times is going to be. There is so much more to faith that is going to bring you life, joy, meaning. Yeah, there'll be suffering, but there'll be meaning from that suffering. And you won't be like, there is so much of that available to us every day. So like, I just, I know we've said it a few times and this is a great, this scripture is a great reminder of our salvation um, and we can't take that for granted. Um, but gosh, God has such beauty. Like God has a great plan for you today. Why would you want to wait? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. run close to him, you know, run back to him today, you know, stay close to his heart today. Um yeah, I think that should be our motivation more than just, oh, gosh, I'm not going to go to heaven. <laughs> like, yeah. I hope it doesn't lock me out. Like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, we have to be in, you know, fear and trembling is not necessarily always a bad thing. But, yeah, no, I reckon there's a lot of goodness that God wants to speak Absolutely. to you today. I was just thinking as you were saying that too, like I think back to when I was younger, faith wasn't something that was particularly central in my life. But when it did become that, I was thinking, Gosh, I wish I had this ages ago. So, again, now is the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So this urgency to be ready to be prepared, but again, it's a joyful experience. Mm-hmm. Even the waiting was joyful. They were excited. They were ready. They were with their friends. They were um, uh, trying to stay awake, and it would, it would have been fun. It's a it's a joyful journey. It's not a scary journey, but just because it's joyful and just because it's an exciting journey doesn't mean you are not prepared. It doesn't mean that you don't realize the the the, the weight of of this weight. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> excuse the pun. <laughs> been so wordy today. <laughs> Say it. What's the word? Wait. Well, no, no. no. The B word. <laughs> Betrothal. 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 Just to clarify, Father Rob thought it was, what is it? Betrothal. No, I think it's not betrothal. I think it's betrothal. Betrothal or betrothal? That was the argument. Let us know. <laughs> Moses's chair. The chair of Moses. No, Moses' chair. Oh, no. Gosh, okay. Whatever. <laughs> Sponsors, save us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll speak. We'll, we'll figure it out. You let us know. Tell us. Because we listen to you. You, you um, and the listeners, will go by what you say. What do we have for this week? Again, you guys are sending in some amazing questions. I've done a little tweaking to this one just to generalize it a little bit more and include even more of a power pack packed punch um the question is punch me can a catholic practice and use some psychological techniques from other philosophical traditions for example stoicism yoga mindfulness etc 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 this um i think what things that we need to understand is that jesus is the center always always mm. so this is before we say anything else that jesus is the center but um there are ways we can get to jesus but jesus says i am the way the truth and the life sometimes we make our lives more if thinking we're going to make our lives easier we actually make it more difficult we go through roads and we go through side roads and we realize we think this is going to be a shortcut but it's actually longer so jesus mm-hmm. gives us the clear and short way through the church through the praxis of the church through um the prayer methods of the church having said this let's explore maybe let's try and understand a little bit about um let's take three or four of these things and maybe try and understand them a little bit and cool. uh, and go maybe like a case study type of thing. Yeah, I think we can focus on this one called Stoicism, but um, these philosophical schools of thought can be likened to something like Confucianism. Like that's a Chinese system developed by Confucius. I don't know if you've heard Confucius says. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, and that basically talks about, where is it? Um the cultivation of moral virtues like social harmony, proper conduct in personal, um, societal life. There's other things like rationalism, pragmatism, existentialism. But maybe we can talk a bit more about Stoicism, what this one is. Um, this school of thought emphasizes like a cultivation of wisdom, courage, self-control, resilience amidst the challenges that we face in our life. So it, it kind of like focuses on this thing of you focus on the things that you can control, accept the things that you can't, and keep your peace through all of that by being rational and virtuous. And there's also this this thing, I don't know if it falls into Stoicism, I'm, like I didn't know much about Stoicism, but um, it's about this manifesting. You know, I manifest an empty seat on an airplane. I manifest. Yeah, I see that mm. all the time. Yeah, so I manifest that I'm going to be rich and I, I imagine it and it manifests. Yeah. Oh, what's this? There's another one that's like, I think, therefore I am. I can't remember which one yeah, it that, is. That is Descartes, think, is a famous philosopher. I think, therefore I am. 
That's his famous thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's manifest. And a lot of like famous philosophers kind of fall, like are known for like these. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. things but in all of this again it's i'm it's not about us manifesting it's about jesus providing it's about it's about us trusting god and it's not about even the manifestation itself it's about god providing for what we need and finding peace even when he doesn't provide what if jesus doesn't want you to have a spare seat on the plane (laughs) you know like maybe there's a lesson to be learned there like i was just thinking even saying like you know um, keeping your peace amidst the challenges of life like I think of that as perseverance in faith, mm. um, even through difficult times. And, um, mm-hmm. and I'm all about like being positive. You know, mm. I manifest in a sense. I, I, I strive for, for excellence. I strive for, for um, helping others. I strive to have enough money to provide for my family. These are all great things. And so, but understand that it is not your mind that is manifesting these things. It is God who is the provider, mm. God who is the yeah. giver. The minute it becomes about us, becoming the power that manifests these things. This is where it becomes. Even um, accepting things in this world, accepting what the... Make sure it's not the universe that's giving us, but accepting the will of God in Mm. our life, trusting God's providence in our life and the lack of it as well. Yeah, Yeah. and I think that's perhaps where it gets a little bit tricky and sticky is that for a lot of these philosophies and spiritualities, which is a word like... That I think is thrown around, it may seem really harmless on the surface. Like these sound like and seem like really good things to want um, and to go after. But I think that um, sometimes it can be a wolf dressed in sheepskin. You know, mm. that we, once you chip the surface a little bit or you go too far in, you actually are exposing yourself to things that are not Christian. Yeah. And I think, as you said earlier, Father, like if it's drawing, if what is it pointing to? Who is it pointing to? If it's pointing to yourself, then you're making a God out of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, all mm. our Christian Catholic practices are pointed to God because we know that it's a bit of a dead end if I'm pointing to me. And so when I heard this question for the first time, it's a great question to ask. Yes. So thank you so much for asking it. And it actually gave me an opportunity to really think, gosh, if someone bumped into me on the street and asked me this, I would. what would I say? And the first thing I would say is, um, in the nicest way possible, why would you want to dabble with other things when when we actually have Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> we got yes. the, the the truth, the way, the truth, and life. We've got the giver of peace, which a lot of these um little these spiritualities and philosophies are looking for peace and freedom. Well, He is peace, and He yeah. gives freedom, and He is you. If you want to grow in um you know self discipline, gosh, like let the Lord refine your character. <laughs> it's all in it. And I think the second thing I would say is why would you want to dabble in those things when we have such a rich tradition in our Catholic church mm. of, um, you know, contemplation of reflection of even, you know, examination of conscience of um, the co- confession. These, Often these are, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Just to try and understand like examine of conscience or examination of consciousness, what, what is that? Like if they wanted to do that? Yeah, well, firstly, you can Google it. It's really good. But essentially, you just go over your day. So you can do this practice whenever you want, but usually um, you do it once a day at the end of the day. And it's a series of questions that you ask yourself to sort of reflect on how your day went. You know, where was God in your day? Did I make room for God today or did I not? Was there anything that I fell short in? You know, is there... Mm. Are there any ways so, that I... So these are, this is, a, 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 in fact, an Ignatian um, 
practice as well. Mm. But uh, like uh, the point is like how amazing it is to reflect on our day and to yeah. reflect on how I responded to grace and how I moved away from grace with this stoicism, how I, I was accepting to the will of God and not to the will of God. So the church has all of this, everything I think that stoicism has to offer, but more directed and closely in its praxis to to guide us to to the same mindset, and that is ultimately this um, peace and, and joy that yeah. only Jesus can give. I was just going to say that some of these techniques can seem like they are compatible with Catholicism, and on the surface they probably are. They just maybe don't go to that level that... Mm-hmm. Um, we can go to in our faith. And again, just to, if you are using this, just to be really cautious and discerning yep. of, am I making a God out of this? Yep. And yep. I'm going to go there, right? Great. Go there. I'm going to say the word yoga, okay? Because I know this is hotly debated in in Catholic circles and I'm sure in Christian circles. Like, Can we do yoga? Is there anything wrong with yoga? Do you guys have any wisdom on that? Well, I would say this. If I would start with the same thing, why? Mm-hmm. Why do you need to have yoga? Yes, these are um, Buddhist Buddhist um, practices, or, or I don't even know if it's uh, um, originally from from Buddhism. But it's a it's a practice which is not a Christian practice. Mm-hmm. It's a practice that we, which uses. But you think I'm just stretching? I'm not doing the meditation part. Certainly, don't do the meditation mm-hmm. parts because mm-hmm. those are meditating to yourself, meditating to spirits. Ultimately, it can be meditating to demons. Just don't go there. If you've gone, gone that far, back off, mm-hmm. back off. But also, you're stepping into the door of another yeah. religion, of, a, of, a, of a, something that is not God. And Jesus, that's the, one of the commandments. You shall have the Lord your God and have only God and do not have any false gods. And so this is what we're doing. And, and you think the stretches, I'm just doing stretching. But what ultimately are those stretches? They're postures of, of worship to particular gods, mm-hmm. ultimately to particular demons. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I just would stay away from it if you, you at all could. And, and there's plenty of other stretches that yeah. you could do. Like as far as I can, I'm concerned, Pilates is all right. But just general stretches, like you can do plenty of other things. Quick funny story. My mom, love my mom. <laughs> she goes to the gym, bless her. She's great. Does her weights and her classes and takes my dad along. But the other day there was a brand new class and it had this weird title. It wasn't yoga. It was some other title. And she's like, oh, great. Right, new class, I've got the membership. That's the better use it. There it is. <laughs> so she goes to this class, she's like, it was me and three others. And so she's doing this class. And then she said, but then they started bowing. And she's like, oh no. And so she's like, she didn't know. She's stuck here. So every time they bowed, my mom said, my mom said, Jesus, I worship you. <laughs> Jesus, I worship you alone and no one else. <laughs> so she didn't mean to be there, but she thought well may as well bow to the lord jesus christ worshiping uh, i love awesome. my mom oh my she's gosh. a little evangelist she my mom it really loud yeah she totally <laughs> would have made it very <laughs> obvious that she would not ever worship any other god so you might f- accidentally find yourself in a situation like yeah. that 
And there's also like the beautiful um, practice of contemplation as well, which mm -hmm. is uh, now there's a fashion as well or in the 1970s onwards sort of for this mindfulness. Mindfulness is good. Breathing is good. It's good for your brain. It's actually, I, I'm happy to endorse that. I myself breathe and, and make sure I do conscious breathing. But at the end of the day, it's not just the breath. One of the, the uh, greatest alternatives I found to the breath of uh, the breath and, and the mindfulness. First of all, be careful that it is not yourself. Okay, that you're not doing mindfulness and you're not allowing um, silly practices like letting your spirit leave your body. And, and mm -hmm. this is ultimately very dangerous, very dangerous. Um, but let's not go into all of that. <laughs> but one of the most beautiful things I do of, of mindfulness is I breathe in and I, I say the word I love you and I breathe out and I say I love you. And when I breathe in, I imagine, I imagine Jesus telling me, Rob, Father Rob, I love you. And then I respond with an exhale and say, Jesus, I love you. And it's just the breathing in. Every time I breathe in, I breathe in the, the love of God and I exhale my, my sinfulness, my brokenness and my surrender to the Lord. And so it becomes a conversation. I'm fully aware that I'm in a, a conversation mm -hmm. um, with, with Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, even though my brain is resting and my mind is resting. So there are uh, words we can say, Maranatha, Maranatha, which is come Lord Jesus. But just again, we have such beautiful times like adoration, you know, go yeah. in front of the Blessed Sacrament and, and worship Jesus, breathe in the gold dust, the presence mm. of God and mm -hmm. exhale his, pre his presence as well. There are so many wonderful gifts and so many more direct and powerful gifts that the church has given us. That's a wonderful way to finish off this episode. Thank you for your questions. If you do have questions you'd like us to get to, send them through to us, podcast at frgministry.com. Once again, our Advent retreat, these three gifts, all those details on how you can be part of that are at frgministry.com forward slash events. Social media, share this podcast around. You can share it with your friends on social media. We are on every platform. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. All those links are at our website, catholicinfluencerspodcast.com. I'm going to give my mum some Catholic Influencers stickers to give out yes. for her gym friends. I love yes. that. You always have the best ending. <laughs> and don't forget to share it with other people. Tell someone, recommend this podcast to someone. Um, it will bless them and also put us up in the ratings so that we can reach more people. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. And catch you later. God bless. Bye now. Answering the question, can we practice yoga? Hope that helps you and to bring you some peace without compromising your faith. The Catholic Influencers, full conversations, past, present, and future, always at Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. I'm H. McKay, and when Catholics Coast to Coast returns, we're going to dare great things where leadership being a vision and a passion, but sometimes we forget that no one is following us and we're not leading anyone. In many of St. Paul's writings, we have the valuable lessons of how a Christian passes their inner fire onto followers, and we'll do that with Dare Great Things coming up next on Catholics Coast to Coast. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. 
Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. We all know that leadership is about vision and passion, but sometimes we forget that if nobody's following us, we're not leading anyone. In truth, the test of a good leader includes their ability to engender their spirit in their followers. And few people were better at this than St. Paul. In many of his writings, especially his letters to Titus and Timothy, we have a valuable lesson of how a Christian passes their inner fire on to their followers, a lesson our Christian leaders can use today. Hey, everybody, and welcome back again to our our final course here on St. Paul as an example of leadership. And I just love doing this because you've got to remember that leaders who are Christian lead differently than leaders who aren't. And it might seem at first a little bit controversial to say that because you could say, I don't understand, you know, what the difference is. Well, you might not understand what the difference is, but it's as fundamental as having a different philosophy and a different worldview. Okay, when you're a Christian, the philosophy that guides the decisions that you're making practically, right, the end goal that you have in mind and the assumptions that guide every aspect of your decision towards that goal They don't come from a worldview that says that the human person, for example, is expendable or that human life could be satisfied by pure materiality or that there's a class system that should keep certain people from developing themselves or that safety isn't very important. You know, if you throw Christianity out of the workplace, you will foundationally change the culture of that workplace, which means if you insert a Christian worldview into the workplace. And I'm not saying Christian faith. I'm not saying to impose that upon anybody, but I'm saying to, to impose a Christian set of values. Yes. In the way that you work, you will also positively impact the workplace. You will augment its quality. You will increase also its efficiency for the good. You see, in many ways, the workplace is a neutral thing. It needs to be guided by the the leaders who are in it. And the leaders who are in it will shape that workplace according to the values that are in them. This is why it's so important that Christians who are Christian in faith bring that faith to bear by bringing their values with them and fighting to insert those values actually there where they work. Okay, so it might sound kind of generic, but actually has a lot of consequence because it shapes the the way that we approach the goods that we actually make and the services that we actually make. And sometimes because the services that we don't make. I mean, it's not because things can make money that we necessarily do them. It's because things are good, right? It also impacts the quality that you put into the, the, the product. 
I'm dealing with a lot of companies these days, for example, and you know, you talk to the business owners, and they say they're having a really hard time because the younger, the youngest people coming into the workforce at current, sometimes don't have the same work ethic as the generations before them. And so they're finding shoddy quality or they're finding people that don't want to learn and they're really struggling to say, how are we going to have, how are we going to maintain the same output as a company if our employee working ethic itself changes? But that was a great example. I mean, who's going to determine a work ethic, right? Who sets those standards? Is it just going to be the efficiency of the machine? We all know that that's not adequate. Work comes from the inside of a person. So we have to have a better way of guaranteeing a work ethic than saying it's going to be to operate at the speed of a machine. They're simply going to say they don't want the job at all. Our economy depends upon people being willing to work it. Okay. And that willingness, where does that come from? Well, it comes from a spot that's deeper than work itself. It comes from their family values, the way that they were raised. Uh, and where does that come from? Exactly. The deep philosophies that undermine everything. You take Christ away from the world, and I'm going to guarantee you it will be more difficult to maintain a high level of quality in the goods and services we produce. Second thing that we do that makes a difference is the way that we do it. It's not only the what we do, but how we work itself. And this is a little bit of history is always you know, very good to, to reflect on because you've got to remember that labor unions had their birth in a Christian world where the rights of the workers were asserted and then affirmed with, through, through the support of the church. Now, the church also supported the right for free enterprise. The, the church also supported the right of private property for the owners. But it also, she always insisted and she was amongst the first voices to insist that this fundamental law be remembered. Man does not live to work. Man works to live. Which means that the, the work that we do in the workplace needs to be ordered to our, our personal fulfillment, our personal development, that our life is more important than our work. All right, so what does that mean? That means that safety in the workplace becomes really important, but not only safety, but a safe environment where people are encouraged to grow, to be their best, where they're developed from one stage to the next, where you're given an opportunity to rise through the work in a way that's part and parcel of your genuine humanity. Well, again, like take, take, uh, take Christianity out of the workplace. What's going to guarantee that? I mean, there's other world philosophies out there, you guys, that don't hold that the worker should be developed. I know it might sound startling for you, but there's all kinds of people that impose work in slave-like conditions where the economy drives without, and they should be just grateful that they have a job at all. And, and, and yet this is not the way that, number one, is not the best way for work itself or for the, the profit of the company to reach its maximum. But number two, it disrespects the people who are doing the job. And the Catholic Church steps in to say, where are our Christian leaders, our Catholic leaders in the workplace to insist that work be done in such a way that it's a practice for home? Meaning that the same people that are in your work spot, workplace, are people's brothers, fathers, mothers, sisters, aunts, grandmothers. And they ought to be spending their time in work at, in such a way that they grow and who they are 
to be even better when they go home. If you're breaking down your workers at work, you're breaking down the leaders of the families at home. And then finally, the third place where the church insists that Christian workers make a big difference is in the way that they treat wealth, right? The, the end goal of a business, of course, is profit. And the church says, hey, there's nothing wrong with profit. In fact, it's necessary and it's your right. It's just that your, your profit has to be seen at, for what it is, the possibility to grow things for the good. Both other charities, for example, and the poor who could use that profit to grow for the good and the business itself, which needs, of course, new infrastructure, new, new development tactics, new ways to, to invest in the experience of the employee. The problem is not whether or not you have money, in other words. The problem is whether or not the money has you. And if your business can generate that money, what a, what a great vision of wealth. I just think it's amazing because what if it wasn't that way? I mean, if it wasn't that way, we, we, we would be left in a world where wealth could be seen as something that divides instead of as a seed that could be planted to give new life. Wealth could be seen instead as something that crushes instead of something that brings people up. And so like, it's very important that you understand these three different ways that your faith impels you to take the role of leadership so that you produce good goods, you do it in a good way, and that you have good wealth. Those three guiding principles are the reason why we're fighting for you at the St. John Leadership Network. And it's the reason why we're going to look at the life of St. Paul, because he shows us that type of leadership. And it's so amazing to think of the grit of this man that God threw out there, so to speak, in the Mediterranean just to figure it out. And he had to go through the same dynamics as an entrepreneur has to go through anywhere. He has to figure out methods, products, audiences, methods of delivery, lifestyle. How I mean, all of the rules that we now take for granted, he didn't have. And so St. Paul shows us in a real raw form the heart of a leader being forged in the act of leadership for the good of the church. And, and he gives us, of course, an authoritative lesson because as the written word of God, his letters and his life in the Acts of the Apostles become the norm of our Christian faith. So I want to look at him to inspire you as you go out and lead your businesses. A few years ago, Gallup did a poll on leadership and it asked you know, a, a huge amount of people what the four number one qualities of leadership are. And of course, the, the number one thing people came up with is vision, meaning if you don't know where you're going, there's no way you can lead anyone there. And the number four quality came in as passion, enthusiasm, right? We can all see that. It's the middle two that really surprised me. The number two quality that was listed is whether or not you can be trusted. And the number three quality is whether or not you trust your people. Now, the reason that really surprised me is because I can understand, you know, vision and passion as the leader drives forward. But it surprised me to think that in fact, half of leadership is not your ability to overcome obstacles, to vision, to see your way forward. It's your ability to connect with the people who follow. That means you could go to the greatest school. You could have the greatest degree. You could have the greatest ideas of anyone out there and still utterly fail as a leader. Because if you do not connect with your people, if they don't want to work for you, work with you, 
Well, well then they're not going to. <laughs> Meaning that you can, you're not leading anybody. You're just fighting a fight. See, leadership is, is not a quality that's simply all about the objective to it be attained. At least half of it is your ability to attain that objective together, to bring other people along with you as you look for what is genuinely good. They used to say of Napoleon, for example, and, and he was, of course, one of the winningest generals of all time. I think he only lost three battles uh, out of something like 60. Uh, but Napoleon, they said that when he would go to his, come out of his tent, his generals would line up in front of him and he wouldn't say a word to them. He would just look at them. And the way that he looked at each one and shook the hand of each one so motivated those men that they would go to their deaths fighting for him because they, they believed in him, right? How do you do that? How do you convey this, the fire that's inside of you towards the people that are underneath you? How do you build up the next generation of leaders? Or even, even if it's not the next generation, how do you share the vision that you have? I mean, at the, the center of this is the art of communication, of course. Your ability to, to take what's inside of you and to pass it on into what's inside of them. If you could bring your followers to believe in what you believe in uh, with the same intensity with which you believe it, well, well I mean, you've really inspired leadership. You, your, your leadership is now leaving a legacy. And for a lot of folks, this is really the challenge. You get towards the end of your career and you say to yourself, what was this all for? And, and how, can, how have I made anyone's life better by what I've done? And I think most people say they turn from successful careers into some form of mentorship to pass on the wisdom that they have. And that's where you find your satisfaction. Well, look, this is exactly what St. Paul was doing. In the life of St. Paul, he probably died sometime in his 60s, it appears late 50s into you know mid-60s. Uh, and at the end of his life, who did he pour his heart into? Well, of course, you could say on the one hand, he poured it into the church, which is true. I mean, if you look at his letter to the Galatians 4.19, he actually calls them his children. He says, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. I mean, literally calling them his children in the Lord, right? He does the same thing to, to St. Timothy. He says, my true son in the Lord. Same with St. Titus, calls him a child in the common faith that they share. Or take a look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, 8. He says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. I mean, there, there that says it all right there, right? Like to be a leader who pours out their life into the others that followed. Now, of course, St. Paul wasn't running a business, right? You don't exactly do that in the business world. Uh, there's a whole different set of parameters, but the principle remains the same. Paul's saying, I'm going to bring from what's inside of me, the fire that's burning inside of me, and I'm going to make it such that that fire burns in you. Now, of course, all of us, whether we run a business or not, if we're a parent at home, you're like, this is exactly what I want to do. A grandparent this is the great desire of grandparents to invest in those grandkids, right? And to pass on the tradition, the knowledge, the character that you've spent a lifetime developing. 
I mean, do we? none of us want to take that to the grave. It's the whole thing. When we come to the end of our lives, we look back and we say, how have I passed on my life? And of course, I do that by having children biologically, but I do it even more by parenting them and grandparenting them effectively. Okay, well, is there, is there an art to this? Is there a science? Is there somewhere I could go to develop this? Well, of course there is. And the Bible has the source for this knowledge. All wisdom is present in the Bible in one form or the other. And so what's the wisdom of grandparenting, the wisdom of parenting? Well, I find it right in St. Paul. I mean, I just gave you these examples where he's actually speaking, using the analogy of a parent and a child to speak of his relationship with his followers. Now, again, it's, it's a deep relationship. It's not the same as the workplace, but there's going to be an analogy. There's something we can take out of this and apply no matter where we are. And here, here are three things that I see right away that we could take from St. Paul's example. Number one is that he embodies the victory. He embodies the victory. Nobody wants to, to sail the ocean on a ship that's going to sink, right? If you're going to get people to follow you, you've got to be excited about where you're going and show them the pathway of how what you're doing is going to bring about their victory. And St. Paul did that really well, even though the context of his life was struggle, pain, sacrifice. I mean, like he's talking about going to heaven. And right, no one's ever been there. He hasn't been there. How is he going to? How is he going to get people to go to heaven when nobody's been there? And and he's actually saying to folks, sell everything you've got on earth, so to speak, right? Like metaphorically, like give up your life of earthly pleasure, earthly renown, your earthly stuff, and live like a Christian bound for heaven. And he's he, he hasn't even been there. People could say, "Where's your proof of concept on what you're selling?" And he would just laugh. He'd say, "Jesus." And then if you're in Jesus, then you get to go to heaven. Like, it's crazy. And yet everybody followed him. This is what's so wonderful about Christianity is that our proof of concept is in Christ. And the rest of us, even the ones who are leading other people to Christ and to heaven, well, we're doing it as we follow Christ. It's all about faith, everybody. And, and St. Paul managed to show enough soundness of character to get people to trust him enough. And, and also, he showed enough of an ability to trust them and delegate things properly and empower them that he, he created an entire community of people called the church who follow his teachings as he leads them in the footsteps of Christ to God in heaven. It's an extraordinary example of, of great communication. He's not, he's not bringing us someplace down. He's messaged to us that he's bringing us upwards to something even better. The second quick lesson that I think we can gain from him is that he communicates the message in a way that the people need to hear for their own benefit. In other words, instead of saying, I have a great idea, I want you to know it, he begins with the customer's need. He starts with where they're at and what they're looking for. Look at his speech at the Arepagus, for example, in Acts chapter 17. He starts out with their search for God, and then he proposes that Jesus is the answer for that search. And he does that way again and again and again. And the third lesson that we, that we see in St. Paul is that his nonverbal communication is more important than his verbal communication. In other words, it's because of who he is that he inspires people deep down, 
to, to give a deeper part of themselves as they follow him. It, you, you can only say so much. In the end, it's what you don't say that speaks the loudest. And there, St. Paul's example, his courage, his constancy, all of that inspires something deeper in the people so that his, his method of connecting with his followers is one that, that strikes them in a holistic way. It's not just with their minds that they follow St. Paul. No, it's with their feet and their heart. And this is, can only be done by a leader who goes beyond the words and embodies who they are and what they do. You know, all of the life of St. Paul as a leader really comes to a head in the most beautiful passage, I think, in his writings. And of course, it's the last letter that he wrote and it's the end of the last letter that he wrote. So it's really a very touching farewell. And if you notice how St. Paul says farewell, he doesn't write to the whole world and says, say to the whole world, this is what, you know, thank you for everything. I'm bowing out now. You know, when St. Paul says farewell, it's to one person, it's to Timothy. And he writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He really kind of gives his spiritual legacy. He, he, he gives his heart to Timothy. And you could write, read a whole bunch of the different passages where he does this. He does the same thing with Titus, you know, kind of, you know, issues them a final charge and he encourages them and says what they need to do, you know, as, as ministers of Christ. But then he comes to, to, to 2 Timothy 4, 6, and he writes this, For I am being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I want to I wanna break this down for you because in my mind, this little passage is just a, a pristine example of how a leader speaks from their heart to the heart of their followers. And again, you got to apply this differently in the workplace, in the public sphere, but you're intelligent enough to apply this differently. My point is not, is not so much, you know, the words that he uses, it's how he goes about it. I mean, look, look at how he begins this. I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Okay, so what is he saying? Well, first of all, it's amazing. He's actually bearing witness that there's someone in his life greater than him. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. What is the drink offering to whom? I mean, a drink offering is a libation, right? It's, a, it's, it's where you take the liquid and then you literally pour it on the ground. And be that in the temple of Jerusalem where you pour the blood on the ground or be that, you know, in front of a God or something. St. Paul uses that analogy to speak about what he's living. Now, what has he just told his followers? He's just told his followers that life is an amazing adventure and that what he's living, he gave to the very last drop. Well, being a good leader and the test of your leadership comes from your ability to fire up your followers and dare great things helping us to do that this week. If you want to catch up on their conversations, you can always do that easily at Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. I'm Mason McKay. That's going to wrap things up for this week as we continue a month of thankfulness. I am thankful to get time with you as well as thankful for those that I get to spend time with as we get closer to Thanksgiving. We'll do it again 
next week. Enjoy, and remember to let God define who you are. And I'll see you next week with Catholics Coast to Coast. Coast.